Welcome to Binchtopia. We hope you enjoy your stay. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Binchtopia. Hello and welcome back. I'm Julia Hava. I'm Eliza McLam. If you would like to support us on Patreon and get our bonus episodes, our monthly Zooms and our reading list, you can go to patreon.com slash binchtopia. And if you want to buy some merch, that is at propfront.com slash binchtopia. Once again, I'm always astounded at how huge the tote bags are. I saw a girl. I haven't, I don't, I haven't seen a tote bag. Like I really? don't, ha- we don't have one, so I don't know right. how large they are. Yeah, I actually haven't seen one in person either, but I see a ton of pics, and somebody DM'd us a pic just the other day of her boyfriend filling them to the brim with like flowers and like cute things from the farmers market. So <laughs> big enough for a farmers market trip, ladies. They're farmers market ready. So true. I think that's the housekeeping. Except for people were saying that our last episode was not working on Spotify for them. I have Spotify, and it was working for me, and it was working for other people that I polled. But if that's still a problem, let us know. Because we will have a chat with our distributor. We'll have a chat with Spotify. Yeah. You said you had an airport Uber story for me? Yeah. So this weekend, I was in Florida. I went to see my friend. Um, There were a lot of signs that were like, God hates abortion and stuff, of course, as you would expect. And like gun vibes and like people waving American flags. It was very, feels like the state of America. Very Florida. Very Florida. But I came back from florida and first of all my uber was 90 dollars. oh my god you ubered from lax yeah i could have picked you up well that's sweet i would have never you picked me up last time though so i felt bad asking you to pick me up again no it's okay i'm like the airport girl like are you i'm so familiar with lax by now i don't know why everybody counts probably because i don't have a normal job but like i am like the person that people call to pick them up from lax i cannot believe you took an uber because the way that you have to do it at lax is you have to take uh um yeah it's like actually like really traumatizing you take a bus like to the uber place and then there's like ev- it's the place where like everybody gets their ubers yeah and it's like really depressing like Awful. if you're already depressed like the last thing you want to do is like take the la exit thing no or call me next time call me i next will time. well so what happened was i got an uber and it was going to be 90 i was first of all going to my family friend's house in like santa monica so it was like i don't know why it was 90 dollars right, to go it's from right there. it's like literally right there but i guess because it was fourth of july and i got an uber and then the guy was like oh here i'm your uber whatever and he was like let me put your bag in the trunk and then he put my bag in the trunk and then he couldn't open the car and he locked both me and him <gasps> out of the car with my suitcase <laughs> in the trunk and then he was like can i use your phone to call triple a and i was like okay i was like oh i really have God. somewhere to be like i really don't want to be here like hanging out with this random man in like a but sweat you have suit to because you're no so car. i was like i'm gonna leave there's nothing that valuable in my suitcase i was like he was like i'll give you my phone number i took a picture of his license plate and i was like i'm gonna go like <laughs> i'm not gonna wait around and deal with this man to like call triple like it's his fault he freaking locked us both out of the car and locked his phone in the car like, how do you even do that in 2022? Did you let him use your phone? Yeah. But then he was like, oh, they're coming. And I was like, I can't wait around. Right. Like, and also, like, I'm kind of pissed because, like, <laughs> I didn't ask for this to happen to me. And you now have my suitcase hostage. So, wait, do you have your suitcase back now? Yeah, it's right there. Oh, beautiful. He came and dropped it off. He for came you? and dropped it off. But it was just like a whole it was a whole journey. And then I had to pay $90 for another Uber. 
that it was, was a mess crazy i can't believe it was that fucking much money i know it was crazy and that's like not even the uber blacks that you can take i should have right. just taken a fucking uber black Yeah, at that point paid 10 more dollars yeah um and also when i was in florida i was waiting for my friend she was having a voice lesson and i was waiting for my friend by like this pool area and this old man like came up to me and like started talking to me and i was like very clearly not interested at all and was like trying to read my book and he kept speaking to me and kept like harassing me and he was telling me that like he like he was like what's your name i was like julia he's like my mother's name is julia well i don't know her but a psychic told me that her name was julia like what are the chances of me meeting you today and i was like i don't know please leave me alone and then he was like I like left school in seventh grade, but then I went to a place called Wall Street where like anybody can make it if they do what people tell them to do. And he was like, I made more money than you could ever dream of, like anything you could ever want. And then he was like, but then I decided to leave because it wasn't for me. And I went to Hollywood and I was like, okay. And then he was like, I made the Wolf of Wall Street movie, but I like didn't take credit for it because I didn't want to get in trouble. And I was like, I really don't think that's true. And then he was saying he made the Zack and Cody movie too, which I was like, oh my weird, God. like choice of those two things. Uh -huh. And then he was telling me that Charlize Theron was his neighbor. And like, she came over to make sauce with him because he's like Italian. Really and then just he, firing on all the cylinders. I know. I like literally am like not speaking to this man either. I'm like really trying to like not have to listen to what he has to say. And he's like, yeah and then she confessed to me that she was a lesbian and i like met her girlfriend and like yeah i could tell she was a lesbian because she wasn't interested in me i mean that'd be a huge win for the community charlie's there and lesbian she's Hello. not though Hello. i literally googled it yeah she's like fully not a lesbian but like i'm choosing to believe that she you're is you're choosing to believe that and then he was like and then i said a bunch of slurs so that i could stop <laughs> my job in hollywood and i had to say it twice for anyone to listen to me and they were still begging for me to stay and i was like please like leave me alone i really don't know and then me he was when like i lose my job by saying slurs twice <laughs> twice and he was like like it's a riddles three or yeah something. he was like he was like i wish i was 30 years younger i was like i don't i really want i wish you were dead <laughs> and it, you know when you like just you're just like i really have tried not to speak to you but right. like you're like still harassing me it was like one did of you, those like, situations tell him to fuck off or like did you feel unsafe well i was just like waiting for my friend i should have just gone up and then eventually my friend texted me and i just left and then her voice teacher was like oh yeah he like lives in this building like he's like harmless but like a menace and i was like <laughs> yeah he really is and apparently he went to jail for like fraud and i was like he literally said to me he was like i never like cheated anyone out of any money when i was like in wall street and well I was i'm like, sure that's the story i didn't ask him like a single fucking question and then he was just telling me all of this and that was just like i just had had enough of like having to hang around like middle-aged men i mean men he was, like, really old i mean men really just don't know when to shut the fuck up for real there was like a pool and he literally jumped in the pool and like swam over to like where i was sitting Ew. and i was like I'm gonna kill myself. I just, I really think that it's so abundantly clear sometimes that like some men have not been told to shut up enough, or like men are just for the most part raised, white men at least, with the like assumed knowledge that like the things that they say are inherently valuable and that like people are like inclined to listen to them. Yeah. And like I remember having this moment with, um, it was my dad and my stepmom, and like I was raised a lot by like a single dad. And you know, we had all our conversations, we talk, whatever um my dad is a big talker i love him so much i get it from him hi but he is a huge talker and i remember one time i was like maybe 12 in the backseat of the car and my dad's driving my stepmom's in the passenger seat and he's talking he's been talking for a minute and i'm you know like trying to nod and like look engaged but i'm like kind of not getting where the thread is going 
And then all of a sudden my stepmom turns to him and he goes, and she goes, babe, I'm so sorry. I just stopped listening. And I, from the backseat, like gasp and I'm like, you can do that. <laughs> like, I was like, I had no idea you could just say, hey, I'm not fucking paying attention anymore. <laughs> and it was a huge revelation. When it's like a random man, you do kind of like fear for your life. So you're like, I have no, to No, for be. sure. And then I wasn't even, to entertain. I wasn't even fearing for my life. There was just like a certain point where like, he was just clearly going to keep talking to me whether or not I was like trying to read my book or not. And I should have just gotten up and left, but like, (laughs) I don't know why I didn't. And then he was like, I feel like I'm in therapy. I was like, okay, well I would like to be paid for this. Yeah. 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 I mean, I really, I think you should have been paid and compensated. I can't believe that I like literally when I got off the air, the airplane, I was just like, so my bag is fucking locked in this (laughs) man's car. Like that was, and he was like, this never happens. I was like, I don't even know how you did that. How do you lock <laughs> your phone and your keys and my bag in the car? And then he like expected me talented. to like hang out with him while he waited for AAA. And I was like, I have no fucking idea how long that's going to take. Like I'm leaving. Yeah. And I did. And you did. And I walked. So your 4th of July was spent what on a plane and then getting your bag locked in some guy's car yeah but then my i was like i look i saw the fireworks like in in santa monica and they were very beautiful they they were like kind of far away i was seeing like a bunch of them cute yeah did you see any fireworks yesterday yeah it was actually really beautiful because obviously i'm not celebrating the fourth of july i don't give a fuck about this country i just love it i mean who's celebrating it no i well i'll tell you who's fucking celebrating it we went to manhattan beach we being me redacted and like two of our friends and we pull up there and it literally looks like the entire like like every fraternity and every sorority in the world like pulled up in a big ship and dumped all of their little white people onto the beach because it is a sea literally a sea of like a bunch of like college looking kids it appears in like red white and blue and like drinking beer and stuff it was honestly insane like every square inch of the beach was covered with them they were like lighting off illegal fireworks i'm just trying to like drink my beer at the beach and like be in peace uh-huh um and then of course like the crotchety woman that i am like as i'm walking back with like my little beach umbrella and like my sunscreen on my nose i like turn back to them as i'm leaving the beach i'm like you guys should really pick up all the trash you guys should pick up your trash hey hey you guys just before you leave just grab a, a can or two grab a few cans put them in the trash like <laughs> literally just why did you say that to because them? they were littering all over oh, they the place were? yes there was trash all over the beach what did was, they say they were like okay like they literally were like okay grandma because of course i'm geriatric at my old age of 21 those like little teeny boppers 19 were 20 they, were they younger than you i mean i know they're probably some of them are older than they're me probably some but of them i felt are crotchety as you. fuck i felt very crotchety in my linen shirt and my birkenstocks being like pick up your trash and i feel like they probably didn't pick up their trash no they for sure didn't um and it was like uh, disgusting because like the cops like gave them a little drive by and like looked them up and down and like kept going yeah but Which, how do you know they were celebrating america <laughs> they might have just been enjoying the day off yeah so true i don't know if anybody like i mean i don't know anybody who was like celebrating america well i mean they were all wearing red white and blue oh i guess in that s- situation yeah I, I, I always liked fourth of july when i was little because like i just like fireworks but i never felt like proud of america no my little sister called it firework day it is and firework I was like, day. yeah i love that i mean i <laughs> i mean it also is the fourth of july right that is also true it that's true i'm not calling it independence day but I'm it just is calling the it july. the fourth of july and hey it is but i it was really cracking me up seeing that little um 
graphic going around on Instagram that's like, Fourth of July has been canceled this year due to a shortage of independence. Sincerely, women. And it's like, <laughs> okay, girls. Like, I mean, like, thanks for clocking in. Yeah. Like, thousands of years late. Instagram sucks these days. I just have not been spending a lot of time on social media in general. Yeah, it feels very akin to like 2012 when I'd like go on Facebook and watch the little reels of like the BuzzFeed Tasty. Like, <laughs> is that what you would do on Facebook in 2012? Yeah, but like that's what I'm doing on Instagram, like now and today. I just like uh, social media is out. Social media is out. We made a, a bonus episode of our summer of our ins and outs. Ins and outs, and I'm pretty sure I said social media was. I said Instagram. Instagram was out. Was out. But social media out. in general, TikTok is also out. Yeah, but it's been out. out for forever. It has been out for us. In personally. is starting a commune and going to the woods and fucking off. Yeah, seriously. Oh, another thing I thought was interesting that I wanted to talk to you about. I saw it literally in the car just before I came in to record, but um, Sai Soon made this post about like, you know, like in the, in like from like 2008 to like 2012 when people were discovering media, like the Virgin Suicides and like Lana Del Rey and stuff like that. And like those like books about like feminine pain, I feel like we were all like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. Like now we have like a vehicle for like how, for like our sadness and like look at the ways that these women are expressing themselves and whatever. And now, like, that media is used to be, like, I'm a BPD art ho, a man manipulator, narcissistic, you know, pilot, whatever. It's just so weird because, like, and what she was talking about is, like, it kind of feeds into this um, culture of being really obsessed with, like, labeling and really obsessed with, like, putting all media on, like, a political axis. Uh-huh. And it's, like, really unfortunate because I actually do think that, like, Lana Del Rey music is beautiful. And, like, I do <laughs> love the Virgin Suicides and, like, et cetera without it being, like, I have a mental illness and like I am a terrible person who has an eating disorder like I don't know it just I I mean weren't people kind of being that way when it originally came I mean people were romanticizing like abusive relationships and suicide well for sure but I feel like now the categorization is like I'm like fucked up art girl and whatever and I think that there's a degree of that when it came out but I also think there's a degree of like you know, this is a way of expressing my emotions and my pain that, like, I haven't seen before and that, like, is acceptable. And, like, Lana Del Rey makes me feel like I can be sad. And, like, back when that used to be, like, a radical thing. Really? Was she the first person to make anybody feel like they could be sad? No, but for, like, teenagers who are, like, you know. Yeah. Like, this is okay. And now it's, like, kind of glamorous. Like, of course, it, like, went too far in the other direction. But, like, I don't know. I think it was, like, a really beautiful thing for a while and in some respects. And now it's, like, meow. Yeah. It's also just like people are acting like they're the first person to like discover Lana Del Rey. I feel like I'm not seeing what the teens are doing these days because I feel like a lot of that is on TikTok and I'm obviously not t- on TikTok anymore. I'm just on Twitter so much to the point where I'm seeing like TikTok screenshots and then I feel like I'm getting it through there. Twitter also is most depressing. Most depressing to me. Um, should we do some mailbox moments? Yeah. We have to pick some. This email is called Post-COVID Europe Pilgrimage. Hey, Bincharos, Binch, oh, Binchachos. Everybody has so many different things. It's hard for me to figure out which one is which. I'm writing to you from a tiny, hot Airbnb in a small town in the swampier part of the French Riviera as part of my requisite white girl European pilgrimage. I just finished binging three pods while making the first meal with a vegetable that I've had in a week. Shout out to French cuisine for making me concerningly constipated. And I will most likely be listening to several more apps throughout the evening as I truly miss hearing English so deeply and my head hurts from trying to whip out my busted Anglophone Canadian French. I feel like such a privilege dirtbag for complaining about linguistic exhaustion after only two weeks of being in a foreign country while the ESL baddies of the world are tearing it up without so much as a whine. Hashtag stay humble. 
I'm traveling alone, and while I knew this period would be challenging for me, I didn't expect the emergent antisociality. If I make a friend at, say, the pier or a bar, I won't give out my contact info, and I decline any offers to meet up again later, even if they seem totally cool and nice, and we have great chats. I'm a strong, assertive, outgoing queen, so this impulse is new to me. Don't come for me, introverts. What makes me most concerned is that it seems to come from total indifference to meeting new people and making connections. I feel like COVID has rewired my rap brain to reject sociality and accept isolation as the norm. And as such, here I am sitting in an Airbnb listening to two girls I don't know and will never meet talk about Teddy Bundy Jr. when I should be out at the pier fumbling over my passé composé. I have no idea what that means. I feel like my hesitance to get close to strangers is also, of course, rooted in a profound fear that as a cute girly, I will be drugged and kidnapped and would never be found. To this end, I don't let myself look cute when I leave my hotel or apartment for fear of unwanted attention. And now my sexual identity feels totally confused to the point where the thought of masturbation actually makes me feel ill. I know that there are a lot of baddies doing a COVID overdue year up right now. And I just want to know if I'm alone in this novel discussed with other people or if any other solo female slash non-cis male travelers are also plagued with fear every time they step about to go to the pier and maybe if that fear is even messing with this, their sense of sexuality and of course i'm curious about both of your thoughts on the matter traveling alone as a gourley just kind of sucks well i can't really speak to the travel aspect of this because i w- when i was doing solo traveling i was in baldwin city kansas <laughs> and was not going out to the pier and eating croissants but still like i get it like it's not if you're traveling by yourself i would understand like you don't really want to like go out on the town because you're worried you're gonna get kidnapped yeah that's super fair i also think that the i like isolation being the norm post-covid is definitely hitting like i definitely feel like it takes a lot of effort to like go out and do things it does after literal years of like being inside and like a do- like literally building my like life and job around being alone and not having to go out and talk to people yeah like that definitely hits and i don't think you're alone in that yeah i i get it i feel like traveling alone is always something that like people tell you that you should do but like in practice it's probably like i don't know i feel like it would make me feel very lonely yeah, I mean, I never... did travel alone, so I don't well, know. Well, again, once again, in the like, you know, I road tripped across the country. I wasn't in like a foreign country. Yeah, but still, that's like still by yourself traveling. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was like scary in its own ways, um, but I wasn't really like exp- I wasn't ever in a city like I was never in a place where I was like, exploring a new city. Right. Um, maybe, you know, Redact and I are going to Berlin. Maybe I'll get a little tease of what it'll be like to well, solo you're going travel. with your boyfriend. So it's not the same. Yeah, <laughs> but maybe when I step traveling. out to get a little croissant and a little coffee, I'll be like, oh, my God, I'm by myself. Yeah, I don't know. I get the like if you're staying by yourself, though, like I would feel pretty isolated. Yeah, I would feel isolated too in a new country. I don't know anybody. And also I would understand with like, why do you want to like go out and like meet people to date when you're like anybody could just kidnap me? Yeah, I guess. Right. I mean, I don't know. It's like, I feel like that's how it is all the time. Like at a certain point, like, but if you don't know anyone in the country. Yeah. That's kind of different. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You should just like find, I don't know, some normal, like a few normal girlies. Yeah. You can like spend time with and that just to have like kind of a home base you know and improve your language learning new languages is always cool i feel like you can put your whole pussy into learning a new language totally totally i wish i spoke more than one language i know me too i really wish that i know if you're like in high school right now and you i just this is from personal experience as a freshman i was in spanish three which meant that i could really have gone up into like advanced spanish if i wanted to throughout high school and college and i didn't take spanish four because i thought i would fail it 
I took AP Spanish and I got a five on the exam and I don't remember any Spanish. Yeah. So if you're in high school, continue with your college. Yeah. If you don't speak it, you're going to lose it for sure, which is sad. We should learn languages. We should. Would you rather know every language or be able to speak to all animals? Speak to all animals. Really? Yes. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Why? Uh, Because there are so many people who know a ton of languages. I would be the only person that could speak to all animals. What if you weren't though? What if everybody else could speak to all animals? No. Like what if like as many people speak all languages also could speak to animals? That's okay. That's not that many people. <laughs> I also just like need to talk to my babies. Oh yeah. You need to talk need to, to, your talk your to my babies. I just um, imagine how much more fun the world would be. You would like walk around and, like talk to little squirrels. Like you talk to little deer. I don't know. I feel like it would make the world more complicated. I feel like it's more useful to speak every like human language. Oh, it's definitely more useful. I would prefer to speak every human <laughs> but it's language. More fun. Like I don't think I really want to know what animals are thinking. Oh my God. Imagine like every time you kill a bug, it's like, no, no. Yeah. Like I don't want to know <laughs> that. Suck. I really don't need to know. Yeah. So you would like to speak more languages. Yeah. Rather than animals. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know. Tell us. What Let us know. <laughs> Let us know for you. Okay. This email is so cute. It's called Julia and Eliza, Baby Whispers. Aw. Hey, gals. I'm a longtime listener and recently had my first baby. Aw. Is there a picture included? No, there's no picture included. Include a picture. Please DM it to us. We won't show everybody, but we will just show ourselves. We will just show ourselves. And cry and, and kick our little heels. Okay. Had my first baby, a precious peanut who my husband and I have named Margaret, but we call her Margo. Cute. Margo is eight weeks old and is going through it slash is generally fussy because she's not growing super fast because she is growing super (laughs) fast. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Margo is eight weeks old and is going through it slash is generally fussy because she's growing super fast and it's Satan's taint hot where I live. I was trying to make dinner, but Margo was simply not cool with me being more than a foot away from her field of vision, but she seemed to enjoy listening in on this week's pod while mummy did the domestic labor. Aww. Note, my male expander of a husband slash co-parent was out at a work meeting, not neglecting his child. Anyway, the magic of Binge-topia and y'all's voices calmed my fussy baby and maybe the secret to get to me getting any work done. Vocal fry saves the day. Margo may very well be your first baby binge <laughs> i'm obsessed i'm obsessed too hi marco we should record some like baby episodes some like baby asmr S- some baby asmr yeah i would love that i want more baby binge she says ps baby merch when we should make little baby merch baby merch baby binge baby binge so that would be so cute i if any of our listeners have babies send us pics send us pics of the binge babies send us pics love. immediately we are both baby deprived i wonder why our voice was soothing to the baby yeah i mean she made the joke about maybe vocal fry really is yeah maybe so it just reaches a certain frequency our last episode about us talking about how we were depressed is (laughs) that the episode (laughs) which episode (laughs) yeah who's to say yeah also if you're not in on the patreon you really should be you like really get into our our deep neuroses yeah for we like talk about like existential dread and trauma for like half an hour on the last one that is what we did love and then we tell you what's in and out for summer so (laughs) period period um should we talk about today's episode yeah do you want to tell everyone since it was your idea yeah well i feel like a lot of people have been asking us to go over different like uh styles of therapy different flavors and um you know now that our queen julia is on her way to getting a master's or you have your master's no i i no. will have my i'm get i'm getting my master's right now she's getting it guys it's on the way it's otw it's on route um i thought it would be a great time for us to like sit and chat about our different modalities we you know have 
vaguely talked about like our types of therapies i mean i went in deep onto ifs in like a an episode a long time ago mm-hmm. but i think a lot of people are like hmm i'm now realizing there's more than one type because i think for so long a lot of people are like well talk therapy is like the only therapy and now we're learning that there are other types of therapy i mean most therapy is talk therapy but like cbt i think is what they're thinking of talk therapy is an uh, originally like psychoanalysis really yeah i thought talk therapy was shorthand for well listen this is why julia is going to do the episode and not me (laughs) cbt i feel like is what people are like funneled into and what people are familiar with that's true do you want to say anything about your own therapy experiences yeah i mean i've been in therapy since i had a hashtag traumatic event at like 10 years old and have you know been ever since and i went to cbt when i was younger and it was great. She was a queen. I mean, it was really just like crisis management. I would go in and be like, everything's on fire. And she'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, wow, thank you for listening. Um, and that was honestly what I needed back then. Like, I didn't need to like open up my trauma suitcase because it was being packed. Right. <laughs> um, and then later, I like stopped going to therapy in college. And then once I moved to LA, I was having a hard time. My friend was like, I think you should go to like trauma therapy. So I am in internal family systems therapy now which is a great modality that I like a lot and that works for me and is really great for people who are survivors of any kind of trauma or who are interested in like relating to themselves in um, a different way than just the idea of like I am a person and sometimes things are wrong with my brain which is like a framework that never really worked for me yeah yeah we talk about it in Ted Bundy was a skims baby yeah the episode we talk about IFS in um, I feel like we've have we I feel like we've already set our therapy journeys, but I started going to therapy when I was like 14 because I started having panic attacks and um, I went to CBT for a long time, which I did not find very helpful because it was kind of just about like changing your thought patterns. We'll talk about it. But um, now I do psychodynamic therapy, which is just basically like modern psychoanalysis and you don't like lie on a couch and like the person talks yeah. back to you. They don't just like say, tell me more about that. But um, I took a class called Theories of Counseling where we went through like a bunch of modalities of therapy. So in no particular order, I guess I'll just go through them. Maybe start with CBT since that's probably if you're in therapy right now, I feel that it's most likely that you're in CBT. Okay, yeah. So the reason why everybody does CBT these days is because it is shown to be very effective in psychological trials with like specific phobias, like very effective. So they kind of have just put all their money into CBT and like that's what insurance will cover. And it's like, quote unquote, supposed to be the most effective with like depression and anxiety. But I personally like don't find that to be the case and a lot of people in the field like don't think that cbt is the answer to everything because once like one fear gets extinguished like another one can just like pop up and it kind of like bases everything like on like what is currently going on with you rather than like what's happened in your past Mm -hmm. cbt is influenced by behavior theory and cognitive therapy which is aaron beck in the 1970s aaron beck is like the father of cbt he was a psychologist i think he's probably still alive i don't know i didn't do that research on that (laughs) um but the behaviorists basically used principles of learning theory to modify unwanted behaviors and then they conducted procedures to help people learn new ways of responding and behavior theory was scientific effective and economical this is basically the basics of it is behavior theory but then they said that behavior theory ignored mental processes so then Beck, Aaron Beck, published this book, Cognitive Therapy for Depression, in 1979. And then he demonstrated that cognitive therapy was just as effective for depression as antidepressants are, which, as we've talked about in our 
like SSRI episode is like not really necessarily that effective. So, but this led to the cognitive revolution and the fusion of behavioral and cognitive therapy. So that's where CBT comes from. Okay, interesting. And CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. So there's right. the there's the fusion. So it's about CBT is about changing both your behavior and your like thoughts, mental processes. Gotcha. Yeah, but like it basically comes from like conditioning, like Pavlov's dog and that whole thing about how like there's a neutral stimulus mm-hmm. that i'll have to explain this it's like not that interesting but like if people want to hear about it i guess i'll explain (laughs) it basically the neutral stimulus is something that does not elicit a natural reaction so like we're talking about like you know pavlov's dog is like they ring a bell and the dog salivates even Mm -hmm. though there's not food there because they've basically trained the dog to salivate just to the sound of the bell Mm -hmm. even though there's no food there's a tweet where people say um i'm pavlov's dog and the ding 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 at the beginning of the benchtopia episodes is my bell yeah so the neutral stimulus is the bell and the unconditioned stimulus is something that elicits a natural reaction so like food Mm -hmm. like makes you salivate and then the unconditioned response is the naturally occurring response such as hunger pain fear etc and so the neutral stimulus paired with the unconditioned condition stimulus creates the condition stimulus and that's how you end up with a dog salivating to the sound of a bell right it's like if somebody i'm sure some of you are like taking psychology right now and like i just explained it so well so you're welcome for that but it's like (laughs) it's kind of complex but like that is where like the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy comes from and how would that work in like a human okay so let's say that like you you're like scared of elevators right the um the neutral stimulus would be like maybe like there's like a certain like candle or something that's mm-hmm. like in a hallway. And then the um, unconditioned stimulus would be like the thing that elicits the natural reaction. Um, so that's like the elevator, like being right. in an elevator and the unconditioned response would be like the fear. But so then it could g- get to the point where if you just smell like the candle in the hallway, then you experience the fear of being in the elevator, mm. even though you're not in the elevator. Gotcha. So it's like, that's how it kind of works. I, th- I believe. And so then how would you, how does like CBT remedy that? Well, I'm going to talk about that, but that's basically the basis of like how people have these like learned behaviors of like being scared of certain things. And that's like like how CBT sees it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's behaviorism. Right. um, There's so many things. There's so many things. I just like, I find this like also just the least interesting modality because it's literally based on like dogs and stuff (laughs) like that. But, um, you know, like Watson's learning theory, he was the one who had... the baby albert experiment Uh you know about baby albert yeah i think so so basically like he paired a white rat with a loud noise and like so every he was just like traumatizing this baby like (laughs) this is what all psychological experiments were so they'd pair the white rat with a loud noise and then they trained baby albert to just be scared of the white rat Mm. and then they were able to like extinguish that response by i guess bringing the white rat around enough that like baby albert learned not to be scared of the white rat so they like traumatized him and then untraumatized him Love. because that's like the but the body keeps the score the body does keep the score not in cbt though <laughs> not in cbt but that's basically how you extinguish the fear i guess is if you show it enough times without it being paired with the stimulus then you can like extinguish it like if you got the candle for your house yeah it's kind of like exposure therapy like if mm. you have it enough in a different environment but the the fear is so strong like because it's associated with that that even the smell of the candle can like elicit that that anxiety and cbt believes that different cognitions give rise to different emotional states so cognitions are the meaning that people give to events of their lives their thoughts beliefs and interpretations about themselves or situations so the whole idea is that you're changing like your cognitions about certain things in order to change your emotions so they think that your thoughts control your emotions and so if you can control your thoughts you can control your emotions 
Kind of. It's not necessarily about like controlling your thoughts. It's about controlling your like, you know, that's where the whole thing comes in about like, oh, this is catastrophizing. This Mm -hmm. is like ruminating. Like they have all these different like labels that you can use to be like, oh, I can see how this is a cognitive distortion here. And if I can understand that I'm distorting this cognitively, then maybe my feeling will not be the same as if I'm like using the original cognitive distortion. Got it. So you are supposed to kind of like logic your way out of it? I mean, that's not like what they would say, but like... Like that's kind of the implication. A lot of it is like, how realistic is this thought? Does this right. thought serve you? Like, et cetera, et cetera. But DBT, which is um, dialectical behavioral therapy, is like a form of CBT that was invented that because they were like, CBT doesn't work for everybody. It's kind of about like regulating your emotions, reorienting your attention and inhibiting mood dependent action, meaning like not doing certain actions that are dependent on like when I, I mean, it's for people who like engage in self-destructive behaviors, like lots of times like cutting or like eating disorders or like, you know, suicidal ideation. It's like whenever I feel sad, I just like start to hurt myself. And it's like, how can we like reorient? Right. It's used a lot for people with BPD, right? Yeah. Because uh, the whole thing about, like dialectics is that they're like opposing thoughts that you have to be able to hold at the same time and people with bpd tend to like see in black and white Mm. so it's hard for them to hold like two opposing thoughts at the same time dialectics baby dialectics this woman named marcia linehan developed dbt in the 1970s it was originally created to treat individuals with borderline personality disorder as we said and chronic suicidal ideation but it's shown to be effective with a wide range of issues and it's a form of cbt because marcia linehan basically saw that like cbt was not working for people who were like extremely self-destructive or like Mm -hmm. had pervasive suicidal ideation so like i said about dialects it's holding two opposite thoughts in balance and accepting that although they're opposites they can both still be true so like i can feel deeply upset that somebody canceled plans with me and that doesn't mean that they hate me you know like those two things can both be true like Mm -hmm. it can be i can be hurt by something and that doesn't mean that someone was doing it on purpose yeah and bpd friend of the pod dayton um who has like the dbt workbook and has talked to me about it a lot says that like one thing that the dbt model like tells her to do is like the opposite action like whatever you want to do you do like the exact opposite yeah like if your brain is telling you to like when someone cancels plans with you like hole away in your room and like smoke weed and like do harmful things to yourself like the opposite action is like going out and doing something and that has always like she says it's really helpful that to me I'm like why would I ever want to do the opposite of what I want to do I mean yeah (laughs) but it is hard that's the whole point is that it's a lot of it is about like regulating behavior which is like difficult to do this like dialectics and holding these two opposing views it helps change your rigid thinking to more flexible thinking and the foundational dialect of dbt is acceptance and change so Mm -hmm. like you can both accept something and also change it like that's the fundamental thing about dbt that like yes we can accept the way we are but we can also change those things about ourselves because those things kind of seem like they're opposing but they're not they can exist at the same time and so in dbt the skills you're taught are either behavioral skills to help the individual make changes like you were talking about like doing opposite action or acceptance strategies to help the individual accept certain aspects of themselves or their lives so a lot of it is about like distress tolerance Mm. so some of the like things that are involved in this like i said distress tolerance mindfulness emotional regulation interpersonal effectiveness mindfulness is as we've talked about before just being in the present moment learning how to observe and describe your behavior and then um distress tolerances is is like for example when you're having like suicidal ideation or wanting to hurt yourself like 
you use this when it's difficult or Im- almost impossible to change a situation or emotions and you need to just tolerate the emotional or mm. physical pain. Because usually when you don't want to tolerate it, it's like you're engaging in something to get away from the feelings. Right. And so that includes crisis survival, which helps reduce the impulsive behaviors and reality acceptance, which is like accepting that things, certain things are like out of your control. A lot of us need to practice reality acceptance. A lot of us need to practice. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And so like DBT is basically just about like surfing the wave. That's kind of like the whole thing about it is that you're Mm. surfing the wave of your emotions. CBT like doesn't include all this stuff about like distress tolerance. It's kind of like, okay, you have this thought, you have this feeling like how can we like look at that and see whether or not it's accurate. And then you like change your behavior based on that. What DBT is trying to work on is that CBT didn't address those concerns of like but what if you have a really 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 strong feeling that you can't tolerate right and then it doesn't really matter because you can't like it doesn't matter if you think that it's like catastrophizing or like rationalizing or whatever right. because those labels don't really help because you're just trying to tolerate like the actual intensity of the feelings Got it. um i do think dbt is very helpful for people um i don't i haven't done a ton of dbt but i know that it can be very helpful um none of this is like me like shitting either on like any modality that people use i just personally haven't found cbt to be helpful but i can understand how like dbt could be helpful i mean mindfulness in general is like helpful to tolerate difficult feelings yeah i mean i feel like i have like shaded cbt a little bit but only because it like really like goes in lockstep with like the medicalization of everything like cbt is like commonly covered like most commonly covered by insurance and also if it is like a theory of counseling and therapy that is based on your own thoughts that are happening in your own head like that pairs very well immediately with medicine in even in situations where I think like medicine shouldn't necessarily be like the first line of defense in some things and I think you know CBT partners very well with this idea that like mental illness is like all in your own head and is not ever a product of like the things that happen in your environment or like the things that happen even like globally and like in politics and stuff and so for that reason I think that like it like I don't think it's the right modality for me I like wish that insurance covered more modalities than just that because I think that can like put you know some sometimes it can put people in like a limiting state of mind it's not even that insurance only covers cbt it's just that like most therapists these days are trained in cbt because it's considered to be what's like most effective for people i don't know why but i think it's also true that insurance mostly covers i mean this is honestly just anecdotally so don't you know cite me on this but like when i was looking for ifs therapists like most of them were trained um and not like they were uh, out of network. They were like in their yeah. own private practice. I mean, that's also like a very specific like modality that you're like searching for. So that might right. also be part of it. But you're right. There just are. The fact is that there just w- are way more CBT therapists. So you're more likely to find somebody like who's in network that does CBT. Yeah. So we went like kind of later on because this is like later on theories. But like the original theories of therapy are like psychoanalytic therapy. So yeah. it's like Freud and Jung. Um, and I, as you know, am very interested in Freud. We know about the unconscious, like, and people are haters of Freud. We already talked about this. We did a whole episode on Freud. So like, I've already talked about this. I don't really need to get like super into it, but like the unconscious is like a genius idea. It's really true. The unconscious is basically that we experience unconscious conflict that leads 
to mental illness, dreams, Freudian slips, etc. We don't know why we do what we do or why we think what we think. And this was like a new and radical idea for the time because at the time, like at the turn of the century, people were like, well, we know like everything is rational. Like we know why mm. we are the way we are and what we think. And Freud kind of came up with this idea of like, no, there are all these like unseen impulses that are affecting us and like influencing us to like act in certain ways if you're talking about like psychodynamic therapy which is now like the modern iteration of psychoanalytic therapy like nobody's going to talk to you about like the oral anal or phallic stage like that's not part of it or really the id ego or the super ego i think mostly what people take from freud is that like our past affects us and that our unconscious like affects us Mm -hmm. and like there are things that drive our behavior that we don't know and so a modality like CBT or DBT can't be fully effective because it doesn't take into account the things that we like that aren't conscious because it kind of implies that like, well, things are conscious. So be conscious of your behavior and then like label it, et cetera. If you know what I mean? I I really like Freud's defense mechanisms. I think those are really interesting. Like, because defense mechanisms, his whole idea is that they like keep information from our id repressed the id is like the most like primal self and it helps protect us from information that we don't want to know about our own selves and keep the equilibrium in our unconscious so those are like sublimation displacement projection rationalization regression these are all ways that our like unconscious tries to like keep information from ourselves because Mm. we i mean that's the whole idea is that like there are so many things that are like so hurtful to our ego to our sense of self that we don't want to like understand those things and like naturally our brain will just repress them and like create you know these subconscious like defense mechanisms so that we don't have to experience like the full reality of whatever like and is freud's thought that it's best to investigate that stuff like to figure it out i mean yeah because all mental illness comes from basically like the unconscious not being investigated that's his idea and like hysteria is all like it all comes from like being completely driven by unconscious impulses that have like not come to the surface and if you're able to like bring enough to the surface then hopefully you can like work through some of that Mm -hmm. hysteria is like now it's like considered to be like a very sexist diagnosis which like it like was at the time the idea of hysteria like it's about like the like hysterectomy is like Mm -hmm. a uterus it's like about the uterus and i talked about this in a video that i made that's on my instagram if you want to watch it that's about hysteria and um basically they thought that like like mental illness was caused in women by like the uterus like free floating around the body (laughs) and that you needed to like use scents like to like push it up or down like within the body love that yeah it's kind of like crazy um but that's like where the term comes from but what hysteria was and what it meant was real physical symptoms with no underlying cause and so freud would use free association and psychoanalysis and that was to treat hysteria and that was the popularization of the talking cure so when we talk Mm. about talk therapy we're talking about freud because his whole thing was like people need to just free associate they need to talk and talk and talk and talk until like enough things come out right and that is like a position in which the therapist is very much like in a position of power and the patient is just Mm. kind of blabbing on and on and then the therapist is like taking notes on like what things are interesting and what like themes keep appearing and then you also talk about your dreams and things like that um that's like that whole process but freud did see that patients improved with talk therapy and so that is what 
that's why like psychoanalysis became so popular probably because like literally nobody was talking about their feelings at all right. to anyone else so like yeah it's pretty helpful to like have an opportunity to talk about that but um something interesting is that the diagnosis of hysteria was changed after world war one because men started coming back with hysteria from war mm. and they called it shell shock but like they were like weird that all these men have hysteria um now i guess we're gonna change it because they don't have uteruses <laughs> which is funny that like they would think it's like hysteria from being in war as if there's not like an underlying cause for what's right. causing like your severe symptoms yeah um same thing with like being a housewife who has like nothing to do all day like yeah. there is something that's causing that but like you know these people were like completely incapacitated by things that at the time they thought like plenty of men go to war and mm. come back and are fine so like why are these particular soldiers like struggling so much right and they showed that like talk therapy helped with that because they were like actually expressing and reflecting upon their experiences probably what freud also came up with which is really important is the idea of transference which is um or transference i don't know how people say it but his whole idea is that the therapist is a blank screen onto which the client attributes and slash projects their own feelings onto the therapist. When the patient thinks of the therapist as like mommy or daddy, that's mm-hmm. like transference. Right. And then count- and we all do. So let's be honest. Let's about be it. honest about it. Um, and so by analyzing these feelings, the therapist can ultimately help the patient clarify their transference in interpersonal relationships. Mm. So everybody is like engaging in transference in interpersonal relationships. Like that's why mommy and daddy issues like, it's like kind of a joke but it it like makes sense where it comes from it's like you have these unconscious undealt with problems that you're projecting onto other people and you think the problem is with them when it's actually like something that's happened in your past right um and then what you do the goal is to transfer them to the correct source and improve your own relationship so Mm. you figure out what the actual source of it is um and then counter transference is when the client reminds the therapist of themselves or a loved one and then the therapist has an emotional reaction that's either conscious or unconscious to the patients the things that the patient Mm -hmm. is saying in therapy and so the therapist being self-aware is important because otherwise it can kind of end up in this like delusional relationship where one person reminds somebody of somebody else and you know vice versa Mm -hmm. but these are still like really important concepts that people talk all the time in in relationships yeah like transference and counter-transference i feel like like half the time people in relationships get into a huge argument it's like you're arguing with people that aren't even there like you yeah. like made it up between you totally so the process of change in psychoanalysis is you identify what's going on it's identification analysis and then the interpretation of the unconscious and then you kind of analyze these conflicts that interfere with your daily functioning you analyze your transference you analyze the patient's resistance to like processing all of this Mm -hmm. basically the idea is that like the patient doesn't kind of really know anything it's the therapist that's making sense of like all these seemingly unrelated things that the patient is saying people don't really do like traditional psychoanalysis as much anymore just because it's not considered to be like an equal not that there's ever like necessarily an equal relationship between therapist and patient but like you know you don't like the idea of a therapist being like a blank slate that like doesn't respond or talk to anybody like that's not the way that most people are trained these days especially because what's so important is the helping relationship the relationship between therapist and client and that requires the patient in some capacity to see the therapist as like a human person Mm -hmm. that has their own like problems and faults and can like bond with them rather than being like kind of this authority figure right but it differs in different modalities and it really depends on like what people are interested in like you still can do traditional psychoanalysis or like as you were talking about your friend doing like dream analysis like Mm -hmm. that's much more traditional like 
Freudian stuff. Yeah. That's that's Freud. Jung is like influenced by Freud. He and Freud in 1913 parted because they had a disagreement. And Freud mainly worked with neurotic patients and Jung worked with mainly psychotic patients mm-hmm. in asylum. So they had like different ideas on how they wanted to deal with anything. Um, and Jung had his own neurotic episode for three years and did his own psychoanalysis on himself, I guess. Interesting. In which he came to many conclusions. <laughs> so he has like the same ideas of like the id ego and the super ego. But he also has this whole stuff about like the personal unconscious versus the collective unconscious and the and then he also came up with complexes which is like that's where the idea of like an electra complex or like a martyr complex or anything like that like that's all Jung. a complex is a major influence on behavior that surfaces throughout life and is like a driving force in a person's life so basically what he said it is is that emotions that are pushed down to your unconscious attract each other and they cluster around similar ideas or topics so and so the complex is like all of these things that you've repressed that center around a common theme like for example your mom your sister your brother Mm -hmm. or dad and when it's triggered a complex causes a burst of emotion that may be out of character for the individual and you're transported back to the age that the complex developed Mm. which i actually think is very interesting and like true and that like when certain things are triggered you do go back to that time period i mean that's a, a form of that idea is present in ifs of like you know you there are parts of your psyche that develop certain roles and like have certain beliefs that when they are triggered you like get sent back to when you first learned that or when that belief was instilled or when that role started being activated right right and that's still like something that's definitely true in terms of that i definitely believe about the unconscious that like things get triggered that bring you back to a place of when that was first developed in the first right. place and you it's confusing because you think it's about the current moment but it's not necessarily right. Jung also has this idea of the collective unconscious um which is an inherited way of functioning and it's like it represents collective symbols and instincts that are universal to mankind and this is where like the idea of archetypes come from it's very complex and like honestly not that interesting to me personally so I'm not going to go like deeply into it but like that's kind of where I disagree with him that he thinks all of humanity has this like collective unconscious that everybody shares and like that's where like archetypes come from like the heroine or like the hero or the shadow or this like this the self is the most important archetype and it's it's center because it's conscious and unconscious and the self is not the ego because it's not personal like the mm. self is like an archetype that's like collective to i like mean everybody. ifs talks about the self too yeah, yeah. how it's does like, it talk about the self well in, from my understanding it's like almost in the buddhist way of it it's like you know that you are in like it's called like my therapist calls it your self energy. It's essentially like the point that you can be at where you are sort of non-attached and yet like, because you're not, I mean, in IFS, like I've talked about it before, you can go listen to the other episode, but essentially like there's a bunch of different parts of your psyche that you're like speaking between. Right. And if you are in your self energy, then you are not like deeply attached to any of those like uh, beliefs or, you know, wounds or anything that other parts of your psyche holds. You're in sort of like a liaisoning place in which you can like freely speak between and like communicate with and like figure out other parts of you right and i do agree with that i mean like jung is all about that there are these different parts of our psyches that like we might think that's entirely who we are but there's actually many different parts and so his whole idea of mental illness is that like splitting personality to a degree is normal but pathology like mental illness results from too deep a split and that interferes with your daily life so like 
if your complexes split off from each other, that can result in neurosis or mental illness. And then that split, which is also known as dissociation, is a defense against unbearable psychic pain and emotional suffering that usually stems from a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And so serious mental illness is when a complex possesses the personality. So you know when I said that like a complex, like something comes out of somebody and it, it may be like out of character for them. Jung's idea is that like mental illness is when a complex is possessing your entire personality. The opportunity and the goal of like Jungian analysis is to be individuated. It's to have an actualized life and to integrate the personal conscious and unconscious all together. You want to have a mind and a body that work together and you want to come to terms with all aspect of yourself, both strengths and weaknesses. You bring the unconscious to conscious awareness, which is still very Freudian and um, while living in the here and now. So like his whole thing is very complex and that if you really want to go into like all the archetypes, like he kind of went like really deep into it and like mm-hmm. there's all, it's almost like like horoscopes. Like there's all, and people like to talk about like the different like Jungian archetypes and like mm-hmm. how they show up in like dreams and things like that. But the whole thing is basically that you want to bring the unconscious conscious, right. just like Freud. He did like, like I said, he worked with psychotic patients. So he did this like word association test that's still used that like psychotic patients are slower at producing words and they would produce more emotionally laden words in response to something neutral hmm. so word association is kind of like i mean it's like free association what we're talking about right. that you just like come up with words and i guess he could kind of tell psychosis from like the words that people were coming up with modern jungian practices are still active there's all sorts of like art play drama dance there's like um drawing in which you draw a picture each session and eventually it brings the child's unconscious to conscious like a lot of things that are done with kids are like Jungian, mm-hmm. um, like sand play, which is interesting, like a kind of all of these are like smaller kinds of therapy. Another thing, like the reason why like Jung is used a lot with kids is because play is very important. We learn through play and like things in our unconscious can come up through play. Mm. And that's like the sand play and the art and the dance. Like there's all these expressive mediums in which we can work to bring the unconscious to conscious level. I feel like in every horror movie, they like take the little kid to the child therapist and they're like, Timmy, like, why don't you put these two Legos together? And like, then the kid like eats it or something. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Let me go to, I'm just going to go over this like really quickly. This is kind of another, this is Adlerian theory, which is individual psychology. All of these people, like, except for Jung, by the way, are like Jewish. So like, shout out to my Jews. We really like, we really made this field happen. Adler, he was born in 1870. So he was alive at the same time as Freud and Jung. Um, But he disagreed with them because he believed in people as entire individuals instead of just compartments like the Mm. unconscious and conscious. So he thought that all behavior has a purpose and it occurs in a social context and that your lifestyle, also known as your personality or your style of dealing with life, is created at a young age between the ages of zero and six and fixed by ages five to six. And it's molded within the social context of your family. So like your whole sense of self is developed within your family. And this is where like birth order comes into play. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of Adlerian theory is about birth order. So like your family atmosphere, your family values, then your birth order, the ways in which like Um, the social setting is that you grow up like all of these create like the individual person but I just wanted to talk about birth order really quickly because I think it's really interesting he basically said that 
one's position in their family impacts their way of being. And because birth order is the child's subjective interpretation of their position in the family. And so a counselor who is an Adlerian counselor will look to understand the individual's birth order in order to illuminate the individual's perceptions and behaviors. So like not every like oldest kid has the same idea of Mm -hmm. themselves, but like you have to look at their birth order in order to understand like their views about themselves or like their positionality or like they're even being an only child. Like how does that impact a child's view of themselves Mm -hmm. and that that order is actually like very important. He basically believed that like a healthy individual strives for the greater good of like everybody and an unhealthy individual is like self-centered striving. It's narcissistic. And he believed that everybody was born with an inferiority complex and that feelings of incompleteness being less than are what like drive people to kind of be like narcissistic. Um, And he believes naturally that individuals are motivated by feelings of inferiority to strive towards feelings of superiority. But the ultimate goal is to strive towards like superiority in that you're helping other people right not just helping yourself does he say anything about oldest children because i know like the phrase eldest daughter complex like you know ping pongs around the internet every every now and then i mean it's not necessarily that like i remember in my class we talked about like different people's visions of themselves and their family and like obviously there are some things like the oldest kid like might be like more responsible or like um more like type a because the parents are like stricter on them but it really it's more about your subjective interpretation of what your birth order means Mm -hmm. so like and like of course middle kids too like there is like certain or only kids syndrome like there are certain ways that people might be more likely to behave but a lot of it is about your subjective interpretation of like what it means for me to be the oldest kid and for a lot of people what it means to be the oldest kid or the oldest daughter is to be responsible for like all the other kids right and so that's why it's like the eldest daughter complex in that like yeah sometimes the first kid is responsible for everybody else but it's not like every child who is the oldest behaves in the same way but he does believe that it always informs your sense of self and like your feelings of inferiority and superiority right like the youngest for example might feel inferior because like the eldest is like the prized kid or like the eldest might feel inferior because like the parents treat the youngest kid like with more compassion or whatever, but Mm -hmm. it's all subjective. There's all these like, it's essentially like a similar form of therapy, but his, his whole thing that's like a little bit different from Freud and Jung is that he believes that happiness stems from connection to community and altruism. So the greater the social interest, the lesser people will have feelings of inferiority and the better people's mental health will be. Whereas Jung and Freud thought if you like dealt with all the things that were in your um, unconscious that's what leads you to like get rid of your mental illness and reach happiness I mean I don't know if they ever said you could like get rid of your mental illness and reach happiness but I do think that it's more about like your own personal unconscious and like psychodynamic theory is influenced by like all these different like modalities and like all these different ideas that like come together and like modern therapies like you know use a lot of and modern therapists will use a lot of different theories in order to like treat Mm -hmm. clients it's not just one but I do think that like Adler didn't like the way that Freud and Jung saw people as like sections and compartments and like split elements rather than like full people that just have a goal to like strive towards greatness yeah 
yeah so that's that the last one i want to talk about is existential theory i thought existential theory was really interesting and i think it can be very interesting in today's world as well because a lot of people are experiencing existential anxiety and existential uh theory and existential therapy is kind of all about death anxiety um it's about isolation freedom meaninglessness all these ideas that are very existential basically children develop death anxiety i, th- I found this to be very interesting so like when kids are little they do silent research on death they begin to notice the death of insects or pets or Mm. grandparents or plants dying but then this anxiety goes underground so when kids are little they're like exploring that anxiety but then they stop in their adolescence um it reemerges and teens move into like risky behavior. They taunt death. They act in counter um, phobic ways like going to see horror films or something. Yeah. It's kind of like the rebellious stage of when you have developed this death anxiety, but you're acting in opposition to mm-hmm. it. And then in midlife, your death emerges to your consciousness. And then at the end of life, death anxiety is at the forefront of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the contemporary theory, the way most psychology deals with death is just avoid it. Like, don't scratch where it doesn't itch. Don't deal with, like, death. Like, most people don't want to think about it. It just makes people depressed. So, like, we we don't talk about it. But the role of the therapist in existential therapy is to go with the patient into these realms, to help them with the terror of death, to, like, have these awakening experiences, work with grief, work with these life markers, and, like, truly understand that like life is a process and that death is a natural part of life Mm -hmm. and so what existential therapy offers is a powerful human connection a healing relationship and the therapist and client are kind of more on equal footing in that like we're in the same boat I don't know all the answers I don't know what happens after you die like death is scary to me too like it's not like I am the genius or like the Freudian psychoanalyst who sits silently and I know all the answers here like we're having an honest conversation about like nobody knows what death is exactly or like what happens after death and like just because I'm the therapist doesn't mean I have the answers and what that does is help ease anxiety because people know like it's not that there's something specifically wrong with me this is just the human condition Mm -hmm. is being anxious about death and the therapist is not the healer the therapist and the patient suffer together from the same issues all you can do is like demonstrate facing the truth as much as patients can bear and they don't wear the therapist uniform they don't deny dilemmas that also strike home for them they don't say like well death doesn't give me anxiety it's like it's really about a human relationship and you model basically for the client like the bravery that you can have in dealing with death or Mm. at least having conversations about it a lot of this comes from epicurus was a, a a philosopher he was a philosopher. He was born after the death of Plato. And his goal of philosophy was to deal with misery and the anguish of human beings. Um, just as medical physicians dealt with problems of the human body, the goal was to administer to the human mind and spirit. And Epicurus believed that the fear of death was behind all of our misery and control the way we live. Mm. Which if you think about it is like pretty true. Yeah. Like the fear of death does control the way that most people live. Right. And that like they're scared they won't accomplish everything that they want to before they die. They're scared that they won't get the things that they want or Mm -hmm. that like they have to be racing against the clock etc and he believed that the fear of death was with us all the time but not consciously and that there's this like restlessness the exaggerated religiosity the groping for power and wealth there are all these counterfeit versions of immortality that we create in Mm. order to deal with our death anxiety so you can see like how all these kind of connect to each other and that like in existential therapy there's an unconscious of like the unconscious is that we have so much anxiety about death and all these like 
all power struggles basically come from repressed anxiety about death. Yeah. Because like, I mean, if you think about Jeff Bezos, like clearly you have some major anxiety about death because like, why do you feel the need to like conquer the whole world? It's like a illusion of immortality and that if I accomplish enough, like death won't touch me. And if life was like, you know, never ending, then what's the rush for any of that? Right. And I will say also that this is like a very Western idea. And I think existential therapy probably can really help like Western people because it's not in all cultures that people don't talk about death in right. Buddhism. Like death is very much something that's talked about. Monks are encouraged to like sit with dead bodies and really explore death in a way that's really profound because we have to be comfortable with death as a part of life. But in Western culture, I mean, I took this amazing class in college about Buddhism and death. And I I'm somebody who's like very superstitious. I don't like to think about death. Like most Mm. people don't, you don't want to think about it, but like it was so interesting to take that class and hear about how like the whole idea of like embalming somebody and like the idea of the dead body is toxic is like incredibly Western. Yeah. Like we just basically are like, as soon as somebody's dead, like get Get them away as soon as possible. Like we act like there's actually a danger in like, if somebody dies, like allowing them to even be in a space with living people for like any extended amount of time. And then you embalm them, you preserve them, you try to make them seem like they're not dead. You like try to, and then you just basically try to bury them as soon as possible. You say that they're, they've gone to a better place Mm -hmm. and you, try to just avoid like wash the your hands of it yeah. yeah exactly and the idea of death being dirty rather than like a natural part of life right and that's something that i think really does not serve like western culture because it just kind of increases our death anxiety so in existential therapy is that because the idea is that the therapist like walks with the client into the dark places and isn't like i'm not this high and mighty person like i don't have all the answers like can that does that cross over to other areas like aside from death or does it still like have the belief that like everything is about death definitely i think that it can i mean and a current professor i have says that like she's an existential therapist but she also does like did stuff and Mm -hmm. like she deals with a lot of different things there these are all ways you can use any of these methods in like being a therapist like maybe i'll want to use some dbt methods for like distress tolerance and some methods of existential therapy and maybe Mm -hmm. like even some cbt methods like you can integrate all these different ways of dealing when you see it fit and like depending on the client yeah um it's not like you just have to stay within one modality and you can't deviate from it although some people choose to do that Mm -hmm. um but the whole idea of like of existential therapy is not just to deal with death but like it's to deal with death so that you can actually live so that you can live authentically and the argument for how we deal with death and existential therapy is that our senses stop when we die. And it's the symmetry argument that the state of non-being that will be in after death is the same as the state before we were born. Right. And so it's not so terrifying and that like, yeah, that's the state before you were born that like mm-hmm. nothingness is what it will be after you die. And we have so much concern about the second, but not the first. Right. And you kind of offer that to your patients as like a way to, alleviate that anxiety but the more that you sense that there are areas of your life that you haven't lived up to your potential or that you have regrets the greater your anxiety about death will be Mm. so these are like some quotes that like you know people say that like leave death nothing but a burned out castle the physicality of death destroys us but the idea of death can save us Mm. so we have to be conscious of death in order to like live a full life because otherwise we have the impression that we're just going to live forever and like nothing we do do really matters at all right so like like we were saying about the therapist kind of like jumping into that with the client what you you don't want the client to feel like scared 
scared of like anything that they're experiencing. So like, because I am the therapist, I'm a human, nothing human is alien to me. So anything Mm. you're experiencing is not strange or concerning to me because so much of like what people experience is like the human anxiety about death. Like people come into therapy these days and talk about like global warming and they talk about like politics and things that like are existentially distressing. And it's not that like you have a mental illness. It's like, this is a part of like, being human is that there are things that are outside of your control that remind you of the fragility of life and like how little control you have over things and that shouldn't necessarily be pathologized is like this is a problem for you yeah like it's more about viewing mental illness or distress in context of the human condition i think that that is a really positive way of like dealing with it and i like the idea of the therapist being a person rather than a blank slate because i think that like it doesn't serve the therapist or the client to think that the therapist is some like otherworldly, like godlike person who knows the answers to everything. Totally. And it makes you feel more human to be like, yeah, I'm a human sharing an experience with another human. And this is like a, a part of life. And this is something people have been talking about forever since the ancient Greeks and Romans. And even before that, like death has always been a part of life and it's always been something that's brought people anxiety and to avoid it and skirt around it and talk about everything else. Like, I mean, that's what the fear of like global warming is, is like the fear of death. It's the fear or the fear of like the, the American political system, like crumbling is the fear of death. Even if it's not your own death, it's the fear of something dying, the fear of something ending. And I can really see how like the Buddhist ideas would be relevant here because life is all about impermanence. Right. But in Western culture, we don't like to think that. And I wanted to talk about that one last, just because I think that it's, that's why I think like CBT really just doesn't go all the way to solve these like existential issues that people are dealing with because CBT is kind of like, this is your thought pattern. This is your way of dealing with it. Your way is wrong. There's a flawed way of thinking. It's a dysfunctional way of thinking. And it's your job to fix it. And it's your job to deal with it. Rather than like, what are these things that we can view as human problems that are problems that all people have and people will always have? And how can we come together and connect over those? And what really is the most effective thing for people who are listening to this episode and wondering like, what kind of therapy can I go to? The most important thing is the relationship that you have with your therapist it's not the modality that they practice it's not the the way that they like view certain things you want to have a relationship with somebody who you trust and feel like you can be honest with and that is what is the number one predictor of whether or not therapy will be successful is whether or not you feel a connection and you feel like you can actually talk to that person about what's going on with you yeah and that like positive trusting relationship also like you know if you are if the therapist is is, uh, using some sort of method that is not working for you or that you don't like, like that trust and that like flexibility in your therapist for you to be able to feel comfortable saying like, Hey, this isn't working. Like, can we try something else? Like, can we do something else? Definitely. That's important to see too. And I think it's also good to have a therapist who's like familiar with different modalities and can like work towards like, Oh yeah, let's try something different. Let's try something different here. And like, it's not like every therapist you see is going to be just like one specific type of therapist. I mean, like I said, there are like traditional psychoanalysts. There are like strictly CBT people, but most therapists these days will use a combination of some of these things depending on the client and depending on what serves you. But I also think if you're looking for a therapist and you're interested in any of these like specific kinds of therapy, like looking into the people who practice that, or if you feel like one approach is like, and there's also like way more that I didn't talk about. There's, there's so many different kinds of therapy but those are kind of like 
some of the main ones. Um, and for me personally, I found that psychodynamic therapy is really helpful. And in my own psychodynamic therapy, we've talked about existential issues and like, it's not like we don't talk about those things, but I think that putting your experience in context is really, really important. And that's what's like most important in like treating anything. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Oh my God. Educated woman. I really went off for like an hour. I apologize for the amount of information that I just spit up onto everybody. No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Do you have any questions? I mean, I don't know. I think that existentialism is really, I mean, we almost did a whole episode just like on existentialism and like on the philosophy and the theory and stuff. And I think it's something that a lot of us, you know, even in like the Twitter jokes of like, it's the season finale of America, whatever, you know, there are like a bunch of very life-threatening things to think about all the time. And that idea of like having a human being to go into the darkness with you is like a really, I don't know, at least for me and my therapeutic relationship, like if I didn't see my therapist as a human, it would not work for me. And I like, you know, would love to be able to have a therapist that I can talk about these issues with that won't write it off as like part of my personal neuroses. Right. Um, and instead like a way to like bring us all together. Like, I don't think it says anything negative about your therapist that your therapist can't solve your existential dread. <laughs> right. And I don't think that's the goal. And I wouldn't necessarily want a therapist that sees that as the goal. Yeah. And like what you're saying about the whole, like, this is the last season of America, whatever, like, things have always been difficult and stressful and there have always been life-threatening events that have been happening that's not to take away from anything that's happening to anyone in the current day and age but like it's not like life is always supposed to be good and like this is the example of when it's not like life is suffering like and it's also joy and beauty but if you believe that the goal of life is to never suffer and to never experience pain then you're not going to find any form of therapy that's helpful because right running away from pain and running away from suffering and trying to only experience positive emotions i think that's why i don't like cbt because it's kind of just like pinning down your thoughts and being like negative like yeah. bad and it's like away it's normal to have catastrophic or anxiety provoking thoughts it's normal to have defense mechanisms it's normal to have things that we feel uncomfortable talking about like all of this is part of the human experience and that's why i really do believe that therapy is for everybody because being a human is a like a pathology if that's what we're talking about yeah and there are so many ways to relate to yourself that don't have to do with extinguishing your negative emotions like there are ways to make the world less abrasive to move through there are ways that can make it easier to relate to yourself that you know don't require you to ignore the suffering or to just like push past the real emotions that are happening in your body yeah and obviously people have different experiences of things and some people have more distress than others but like it is a human experience to be distressed by something like global warming or like roe versus wade being overturned like that's an it's not like a pathological experience for you to be like upset about that and that's something i have to remind myself like all the time too that it's like normal to be upset and sad about things and that that doesn't need to cause a panic attack in me because that's like part of being human there's not like it doesn't mean that there's something like severely wrong with me where i immediately need to be like carted off to the hospital for like having strong emotions like that is part of being human and if your goal in therapy is going to therapy to get rid of your feelings as good as that sounds that nobody's ever going to be able to accomplish that for you and if anyone promises you that psychiatry i guess it's not it doesn't work even psychiatry can't get rid of your feelings yeah they can't and your feelings are important and you shouldn't try and nobody would ever fix anything about the world if they didn't feel bad yeah if everybody just felt good all the time then 
What a horrible world that would be. I mean, it would be <laughs> nice if everyone felt good all the time, but I think it's also, I like the ideas of like striving toward like the healthiest way of being yeah. if we're talking about Adlerian therapy is about like striving towards the greater good for everybody. And totally. that it's kind of misguided to just channel that towards yourself. And that's kind of like an avoidance of death and that you think you yeah. can achieve immortality through your own accomplishments. Right. And I mean, to go along with the existential theory too, it was like making me think also of this language of like, you know, a lot of revolutionaries talk about collective struggle right. and like having solidarity in the struggle. And I think that's really important. It's like, I'm going through the darkness with you. Like, you know, we may not fight the exact same battles, but we still like, you know, if you are a worker, you <laughs> have that solidarity to come together and like envision a, a better future and like, you know, go through the darkness along with other people. And that doesn't come from pretending it isn't there. Right. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> another day, another dollar, another day, another <laughs> dollar. Should we uh, thank our godly wives? Yes. Let's thank our godly wives. Love. All right. Thank you so much to Nicole Pearl, Ruth Curry, Rhiannon Ellis, Summer, Layla Elgasab, Hannah James, Caledonia Strillo, Mary Blodgett, Claire Carter, Hannah Wagner, Jessica Williams, Ilsa Osborne, Madison Chamberlain, Mackenzie Brown, Jasmine Savoy, Hazel Fleck, Casey Johnston, Katie, Anna Baboni, Jada, Roha Muhammad, and Mariella Canales. Again, if we mispronounce your name, please send us a little DM at Pod or a little email at binchtopia at gmail.com. We love you very much. You hold up the sky. You're the lights of our lives. We love you guys so much. Thanks for listening to this episode. And we'll talk to you next week. Love you. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoy your stay. Bye.